The anonymous landlord is more than just making profit from property. It's a system of automation and a strategy which will shape the way you invest in property forever. It's a quality of life, it's a way of life. It's a business mindset. The anonymous landlord will make loads of money from property and continue to grow wealth and assets without giving up time or energy or life. Because what's the point in making a load of money from property if you've got no time or energy to enjoy it? My name's Tom Sohn, and this is The Anonymous Landlord. This is Tom Sohn, and today we're going to talk through the pros, the cons, the risks, and the rewards of a HMO property versus a buy-to-let property. Now, that's a house of multiple occupancy or a house share basically where you buy a property and you rent it out room by room versus a buy-to-let property, which is where you just buy a property and rent it out as a single tenancy to just one set of tenants. And that could be a single person, it could be a couple, it could be a family, whatever, but there is one tenancy in that building compared to a HMO property where you might have five rooms rented out or more, five rooms rented out, each of those has an individual tenancy to an individual tenant. So we're going to talk through all of those things. But before I get started, I want to say that this is not about flip to lets or buy refurbish refinance or any instance where you're going to buy a property, you're going to refurbish it, you're going to add to it, you're going to alter it, you're going to do it up, you're going to do whatever. Um, I'm not talking about that in this video. That one will be covered in my flip to let workshop, which I'll give you details on later, which gives you the starting knowledge, if you like, if you want to get into that sort of property investing. We're talking about single lets and multi-lets, HMOs, buy-to-lets, simple as that. Properties that are ready to go, ready to be rented out. They might already have tenants in it, so we'll go through that. Because look, you probably would have heard of the term HMO, and the real attractiveness of a HMO property is a much higher rental income. Because think about it, you've got, say, five bedrooms that you've rented out all at the same time, but they all have individual rent income coming in. So you normally get a higher amount of rent coming into your bank than you would with a buy-to-let property, which has just got one tenancy, so one income stream. So we'll go through that in a minute. But the good thing is, is that HMO properties have so many more benefits to just having higher cash flow. But there are also so many different ways that you can make more profit from a HMO property, but there are also more risks than I think people fully are aware of. So I want to bring that to the forefront as well. And it's the same with a buy-to-let property. They're really attractive because they're secure, they're familiar, everybody knows the standard two or three bedroom houses that you could just go and buy because we've all lived in one. So it's a nice, safe and secure looking investment, but there are so many more benefits to that and so many more ways that you can make better profit from a buy-to-let investment. In fact, in some cases, you can compare a basic HMO property's cash flow against, oh sorry, profit against a good, well-run, well-managed buy-to-let property, but we'll talk through all of that. So we'll start with the HMO properties. I think that's the best way to start. And as I just said, the reason why HMOs are so attractive at the moment is because they have such high rent income. Like I say, let's think about it. You've got 
a big house that you might be able to rent out as five bedrooms and each one of those bedrooms well in my area anyway I live in Portsmouth and in my area you're going to rent a room out for 450 pounds a month now that's a big income and it means that you're going to get what's that it's 20 2250 pounds a month in rent income from those five rooms and so there's a much higher cash flow and of course you're still going to have to pay a mortgage you're still going to have to pay insurances and so on and so on and other costs but there's such a higher rent, it means that you should make a lot more profit than a standard buy-to-let, which is given. Also, you spread the risk across five rooms in that instance. Now, you can have much more, many more rooms than just five, but you spread the risk. Because if you've got five bedrooms and one tenant moves out, you've still got four-fifths of your income coming into you. Whereas if you've got a single let property and one tenant moves out, that's your income gone until the next tenant moves in. So you are spreading that risk of having um, no income coming in for sure. Also, if you do it correctly, and I promised I wouldn't talk about adding value and adding and altering and refurbishing, but you can really add value, a lot of value to a HMO property. And by the way, before I carry on with this, I personally am not the biggest fan in the world of a HMO property unless it's perfect and perfectly placed. I see so many landlords, so many property investors buy HMO properties incorrectly or without the proper due diligence and end up with a bit of a dud. And there's a problem with that, which I'm just about to explain. Another little benefit that you might get from a HMO property is that if you've got seven or more bedrooms, then you could qualify for commercial lending. And that's where you really start getting into the money because a commercial lender won't look at it as a residential investment or a residential asset. They will look at it as a commercial asset. Therefore, they will look at the amount of income that's being generated by that entity, that property. And because of that, a lot of times they'll lend more than the property is worth on the residential market. Whereas if you've got a residential mortgage lender, they will value that property based on what they think it will achieve if they had to sell it on the open market. And that's why you get such big differences between commercial property and residential property. It's certainly an area that I want to get into with commercial property because of the lending capabilities that you can achieve. And to give that a bit more perspective, if you buy a property for £100,000 and it's generating really good revenues and you apply to a commercial lender, a commercial lender may well value that property at £150,000, meaning you could extract more money out of that property than it's even worth on the open market. Amazing. And what could you do with that money? Let's think about it. If you've bought that place for 100000 and now a commercial lender will lend you 150000 You've got all your money back plus 50 grand. What could you do with that 50 grand? How many more properties could you buy? What does that look like in 10 years if you keep doing it over and over and over again? It's looking pretty healthy to me. And then you just keep refinancing, keep refinancing. Now, there are some serious risks with that, which I'll come on to. But what we're getting to here is yield. Now, you know me, I'm all about yield. I love yield. I like calculating yield. I like, I like focusing on yield. It's all about that return on my investment. And so if you've got, you know, if you bought somewhere for £100,000 £100, and you've been able to extract 150, 
That is free money. That is amazing. That is an absolute investment and that is an absolute return on investment. So you really do have that potential with HMO property to extract all of your money back out through financing. You could even do that same thing with a residential property if you've bought correctly. I know that definitely a lot of the people that have bought HMO properties through my broker, my property broker, have been able to do that. And really, that's because of the way I calculate a property investment deal. And when I'm offered one, I calculate it correctly to make sure that the person buying it, or if I'm buying it myself, is able to get their money back out normally within two years. And again, if you, you've listened to my stuff, you watch my videos, you'll know that I always try and set a maximum of two years to get my money back out. But look, there are some risks to all of this, things that you really do need to know. First of all, HMO properties do not have a very high demand if you ever had to sell the property. It might be difficult to sell. You might have to sell it for a bit less than what you think it's worth. And that goes double if you've got commercial lending on it. Let me put this into perspective. If you have a commercial lender that have valued that property at £150,000, but you can only really sell it to the residential market, then you're not going to get all that money back. And then you will have to pay the commercial debt or the remainder of the commercial debt in order to exit from that property. So remember that. It's all nice and all great. You've got tons of cash flow coming in and you're able to refinance a ton of money out. But unless you're smart with that, money that you can extract and you're smart with that cash flow and you manage it properly, you compound it, you reinvest it, then you're probably going to have a problem at some point in the future. And secondly, there is, because there's a lower demand for HMO properties, that means there's less value. So if you, if you had to sell this property, let's say you did buy a property, a HMO property, and it became a bit of a difficulty renting out, it wasn't generating the returns you thought you would achieve, which happens, by the way. This is investing. It's not a sure thing. It's not a guaranteed thing. It happens. Sometimes you buy a property which doesn't work out. It's the way it is, unfortunately. And it's the same with any investing. You can invest invest in company shares. You can invest in cryptocurrency. You can invest in um, private equity. You can invest in anything. Pension. It's not a guarantee. You can lose. So if you do buy a property and it ends up being a bit of a dud, um, then you're going to have to sell that on the open market because you can probably guarantee that you won't or you will at least find it very difficult to sell it as a commercial entity because every person that's going to buy or would buy a HMO property would just buy it on the residential market for a lot less. So remember that nobody's going to buy your, your HMO as a business unless there's a special reason why they should. Now, there's also that risk of negative equity, as I mentioned. We don't know what's going to happen in the future with the economy. We can forecast, we can guess, we can take educated guesses, but we don't know what's going to happen in the future. So if you turn into negative equity, you're more likely to do that with a HMO property than you are with a residential. So if you fall into that negative equity trap, then your mortgage lender at any point could take that property and you'd lose money. So remember that. And by the way, I want you to know these things, not to say don't go for a HMO, because I have also given you some really strong reasons on why you should buy a HMO. 
but I want to just make sure that you know at least some of the serious negative part of investing. And I think a lot of people miss this. I'm not saying you do. If you're watching this right now, I'm not saying you miss this or you don't know this. But what bothers me is that there are so many people out here, so many property trainers and property coaches and people of that world that are selling these training courses that don't emphasize enough on protecting the risk. And that protecting your risk is probably just as important as ensuring or maximizing your profits. Because there's no there's it's no point making profits if it's all at high risk. No point. Because you will lose it at some point. And then you've got no profit and you've been fined 30 grand from the council or <clears throat> your mortgage lender have repossessed the property. It, you know, there's no point in making profit if you can't keep it, right? And then with HMO properties, there, I couldn't tell you the number, but there has been absolutely tons of legislation changes, new legislation, new processes, changes to minimum requirements across the whole HMO industry. And I know a lot of very successful HMO investors, um, certainly in Portsmouth, people that have bought HMOs very cleverly, they've done very well with them. And they're all struggling with all the HMO legislation that's coming out, licensing, planning, minimum requirements, all of those things are becoming quite difficult. Um, and then there's the maintenance side. Now, look, I don't want to generalize this and say that, well, no, I do want to generalize this, but I don't want to say that every single individual tenant of every single individual room is this way. But in general, across the whole board, you do find that HMO landlords have to carry out more maintenance, more repairs, more refurbishments than other types of landlords, just purely because, first of all, you have a lot of shorter term tenants, meaning you get tenants come in and they move out in 18 months. That's fairly common. But also, if you're renting a room, you're less likely to be 100% committed to maintaining that quality of that room and looking after it and making sure it's up to a high standard at all times. You're less likely of that. So there is going to be an element of, of more maintenance required, which effectively costs you more money. Um, like I said, there's a high tenant turnover as well. So you have to constantly pay to have new tenants go in. Now, if you're a landlord that wants to do all that yourself, then it's not just about financial expense or input. If you are going to continually find new tenants for that property, that means you have to continually advertise, continually show people around the property, do viewings, and continually carry out referencing, continually carry out new contracts and execute them, and so on and so on and so on. It's your time. And if you're a person who's got a career and you earn £50 an hour, then calculate it. It may well be cheaper or it may well be less hassle to just get a letting agent to do it. Now, in my experience, a lot of letting agents that, that um, find tenants for HMO properties, they do it on a cheaper basis per room, and they normally work it out on a whole house share. Some agents do, some agents don't. But think of your time, think of your money, think of your effort, think of your mental health as well. It might well be better for you to just let a letting agent do it. It might cost you a few quid, but think about what you're saving. You know, making profits, not just about money. You've got a profit 
with your mental health, you've got a profit with your family, you've got a profit with money, you've got a profit with your time, profit with your energy, and all of those things come together <coughs> to lead to a better lifestyle. And lastly, I just want to summarize those things, right? So if you do buy a HMO property, then you've got to use the cash flow properly. And you've got to think like a proper investor, a proper business, because that's what it is. You are, even if you've just got one, one bedroom flat in the middle of the city because you moved out of that flat into your next place and you managed to keep hold of the first one. It's a business. It generates income and it has expenditure and you've got to try and make it profitable. Now, if you use that profit that you get from a HMO property correctly and you compound it and you recycle it and you reinvest it and you do it in the right way and when you have got that money accumulating in the bank, you do the right things with it because think about it, in the bank, it doesn't make any money. It doesn't grow. It just sits there. Every penny you put into that bank just sits there and does nothing. In fact, it probably goes down in value. Think about it. If I put £100 into my bank today, in two years' time, when the value of that pound is higher, I still will have £10 in there, but that £10 might now be worth £1,100. What did I say? Can't remember. Doesn't matter. So you get what I'm saying. If it's sat in the bank, it will always be there at that value. If you invest it continually, which again, I'll go through in, a, in, in an investment workshop, but if you invest it and you grow it and you compound it and you recycle it and you reinvest it, then you will grow that constantly. Don't get distracted by cash flow. Calculate it in the same way as anything. You calculate the income, you calculate the expenditure, you calculate your risk and you calculate your forecast. All of those things should contribute towards a number and that will tell you whether this is a good investment or not. And do calculate that risk. What is the worst case scenario that you will have to pay out in order to keep this, this HMO property going? And forecast your profit as well, because it's not all yours. Remember, all of your profit doesn't belong to you, especially if you've got a plan where you want to grow your wealth and you want to improve your life or gain your financial freedom or gain your life freedom or dream freedom even. That profit's not yours yet. You've got to do something with it. But remember, with a HMO property, it's very hard to make the maximum profit without quite a bit of income, or sorry, quite a bit of input from you. Okay, so that's HMOs. Hopefully that all makes sense. Look, there are quite a few more risks, rewards for each individual property, but it's difficult to talk about the individual types of HMOs and properties and areas and locations and demographics because we haven't even talked about student properties. We haven't talked about council. We haven't talked about all of those things. This would be a far too long a video. I mean, I'm already 18 minutes in and I'm only on HMOs, but now we're going to get on to buy to lets. Um, and by the way, look, you all know that I am a property broker. I run a property broker, which means that I get offered property investment deals from around the country. At the moment, I really like the Northeast, the Midlands and the South. I really enjoy those areas. They're really good investment areas. Parts of the Midlands as well. Birmingham and surrounding areas are really good. Wolverhampton, um, Nottingham is really good. Northeast, like I've said, um, 
Also parts of Scotland. I'm really keen on Edinburgh and Glasgow right now. Check them out. Anyway, can't remember what I was talking. But if you want to buy a buy-to-let property, then let me know. If you're looking for a buy-to-let property and you want to buy those ones that are off market, that are below market value, better value for money, let me know. Just email me, tom at pinkstreet.co.uk. Anyway, buy-to-let properties. There's Look, of course, everybody knows buy-to-let properties because you just buy a place, you rent it out, there you go, job done. But with a buy-to-let property, you may well make a little bit less profit. I think we're all agreed on that. You'll make a bit le- less profit because there's a little bit less rent income. Whereas with a HMO property, you might get £2,000 a month. With a buy-to-let property, you might get £1,000 a month. But there are a few extras to that. First of all, longer-term tenants. Now, Again, I can't say this is true of every single individual tenancy for every single individual property. But what I can say is that generally speaking, a buy-to-let property, a standard buy-to-let property has longer term tenants. Because they're on a single tenancy, it's normally within a property that they are, you know, it's normally uh, an, an individual dwelling. Whereas with a HMO, you have people sharing a house. With a buy-to-let, you don't. Simple as that. So you do get longer term tenants. And look, a general rule of thumb, I don't think there are too many statistics to support this, but generally as a rule of thumb, I found that you'll have a three bedroom house will have a family in it for eight years. A two bedroom house will be six. And then you start working downwards from there. The next thing is there's more availability of buy to let properties. You can you can just go and buy a property on the open market from a family or from a couple and then rent it out because it's a good investment, good price, good area. So there are so many more properties that you could turn into a buy-to-let property as opposed to a HMO. Because of that, it means that you don't have to be so impulsive. You can be fussy. You can find that right property that's right for you, that's right for the type of tenant that you want to find. And in line with that, there's also more tenant demand for single buy-to-let properties because more people want to live in their own property. I think that's fair to say. So there's definitely more demand, which leads to more security that you're going to get that property rented out quickly. There's also less legislation. Now, I'm not trying to belittle legislation here, but on HMO properties, there is an absolute bucket load of legislation, processes, red tape, anything that has to be followed. Whereas with buy-to-lets, there really isn't that much in the grand scheme of things. Well, I say there isn't that much. There's something like 176 different pieces of legislation that landlords have to know. But the point is, there's a lot less legislation in buy-to-let standard single-let properties. There's also the resale value. As opposed to a HMO property where there isn't really the value or the demand to sell that property at top price... There is with a residential property because you've probably bought it at a residential price and therefore you're going to sell it at a residential price and the mortgage lender is going to value it at a residential value. So therefore, you shouldn't really get into that problem where you've overborrowed or it's worth a lot less than you paid for unless you bought incorrectly in the first place. But it also means there's a lot of demand. People will always buy houses and flats that are on standard Um, layouts and standard dwellings. Um, And there's also the market growth. 
Now with a HMO property, generally speaking, you won't get standard residential growth because you probably would have bought it and it's worth a bit more than perhaps the residential market to you because of the income that it generates. Whereas on the open market, it's not worth as much. But with a standard residential property, you get the value growth. It grows with the surrounding area. Um, so I hope that makes sense anyway. There's also less maintenance. I know that sounds crazy, right? There is still maintenance. You've always got to maintain your investment. I think that goes without saying. You could go and invest in Apple and you could get 5 or 6% return on investment per year, but not have to do anything. Don't have, <coughs> you don't have to spend any money. You don't have to invest any more. You don't have to maintain. You don't have to get involved in Apple company meetings or anything like that. You just put your money in and get your 5 or 6% a year. Maybe more if they do well. Who knows? But you don't have to do too much for it. Whereas with property, I mean, my average, across my portfolio, my average yield is around 20%, which is very high. But then I'm in the industry. I've been doing this for a long time. I know how to get those types of properties. Whereas if you've got an average return on investment of, say, 12%, then you will have to invest a little bit of that in maintaining but you will also have to use some of your income in order to improve and to keep it going and repair it and so on. So there's, it's almost like a car, isn't it? You can't just have a car. You can't just buy a car and then never have to do anything to it for the rest of its life. There's always stuff to be done. So, yeah, but I guess what I was getting at is that there is less maintenance on a single let property, which is a good thing. And if you've bought a property that's a leasehold, for an example, a lot of that maintenance may well be taken care of for you. Now, the downsides to buy-to-let properties, of course, there is less profit. That goes without saying. And that is in most cases. I would say every time you compare HMO to buy-to-let, there's always going to be less profit in a buy-to-let property. But remember what I said earlier on. Profit's about more than just money. You have to profit. There's no point in making monetary profit if you are making a loss with your energy levels, your time, your family, your work, there's no point getting, you know, starting investing in property just to take on a second job. No point in that at all. So profit is about more than just money. You've got to look after your mental health. You have to look after your mindset. You have to take care of your family, your friends. You have to be able to enjoy the profit that you're making. Otherwise, what's the point in making it? You might as well not make it and carry on enjoying your life. Um, but look, there is, generally speaking, less profit in property, in uh, buy-to-let. Also, families are notoriously harder to evict if you need to. Now, again, I'm not saying that all families will have to be evicted and it's really difficult to do so. What I'm saying is, is that if you have to evict somebody, a tenant, then it's easier to evict a tenant of one room than it is to evict an entire family because they have certain rights um, when it comes to kids and Anyway, all of those things. We're getting into the eviction process now. But uh, but the point is, is that if you've got a single let, three-bedroom house, two-bedroom house, and it's got a family in it, they are harder to evict than if you've got one person living in one room in, in a shared house. There's also future legislation. Again, we don't know what is coming. We have an idea, but we don't know until it's absolutely concrete about what is going to happen. And that can affect, that's, that's not just about affecting the property itself or the tenancy itself or the landlord. That's about 
how letting agents, for an example, are affected. If there's legislation that comes in that affects letting agents and, and that forces them to put their prices up, then you will suffer for that, Mr. and Mrs. Landlord. So you have to take action. Um, and I'll give you an example. A couple of years ago, we had the tenant fee ban, which effectively said that letting agents and landlords were unable, it was illegal, to charge a tenant a fee. Whereas before, letting agents would charge tenant fees. And that would make up 20% of their income. All letting agents would lost overnight, just lost 20% of their income. Some, some cases more. But what they had to do was then pass that cost on to the landlord. Because, you know, a letting agent is a business. They can't just sacrifice 20% of their income. That just can't be done. That's just not the way to do business. So landlord had to pay for it. And what that led to was landlords had to increase rent to cover that cost, or they had to try and reduce other expenses to, to get rid of that cost. It's a difficult world. But look, the point is, is that legislation in the future is unknown until it becomes concrete. So we, as landlords and property investors, we have to make sure that we know all of that legislation. And like I said earlier, there's 176 pieces of legislation that landlords should have to follow and at least know about. So in summary, look, a buy-to-let property is for the safer investor. If you prefer your money to be safe and you prefer your investments to be safe, then a buy-to-let is probably the one for you. They're easy to find. They're easy to buy, that's for sure. And they can be extremely profitable. Now, I've not really gone into the whole profit side of this because actually, if you buy a good buy-to-let property, there's so many different ways that you can really increase profits on a buy-to-let property. Really increase. I don't just mean do it up nice. I don't just mean put a nice kitchen in there. I'm talking about how you use the cash, first of all, how you finance that property, how you take care of that property, how you take care of the tenants. What you do with your investment will increase your property profit. And you know what the beauty that I like about uh, buy-to-lets and the reason I like buy-to-lets so much is because your buy-to-let property is, it's very easy for your buy-to-let property to make a ton of profit without you. And that's what we all want. Look, let's face it, you didn't get into property investment because you want to show people around your property and you want to get keys cut for tenants and you want to go and fix a boiler or organize a plumber or get an electrician out or a pest controller or a locksmith or all those things. That's not why you started investing in property. You invested in property because you wanted the income or you wanted the, the investment. You wanted to put your money somewhere that you could provide for your kids in the future. You wanted to use that property as a pension. You didn't do it so you could take on a second job, right? None of us did. So I like buy-to-lets because you can buy it. You can, um, look, if you do it correctly, you can just outsource everything. And I don't just mean get a letting agent. That's one third of it. You get a letting agent, but you have all these other things in place, automated, systemized, without you. So that you just get the profit every single month. No problem. Look, overall... I think it's safe to say I prefer buy to let. And I made that clear from the start. But I do like HMO if you buy it correctly. Buy to let's a safer investment. HMO provides more cash flow. So what do you want? What are you more interested in? What I would say is that I've not really gone too much into how you can get your money back out of either buy to lets or HMOs, really. Because there's a ton of different strategies. And do you know what? I go through that in my flip to let workshop. Um, but 
both options can be hugely profitable um, if you do it correctly. Again, I'm not talking about where you refurbish or flip to let here. I do all of that in my workshop. That's probably a better place to talk about it because it's focused on that, on, on those things. But, you know, if you get a good buy-to-let property, you can definitely get between 10 and 30% yield. Absolutely you can. There's lower risk. And, oh, by the way, HMO, it's relentless. Relentless. Meaning it never ends. There's always issues to deal with. There's always tenants moving in and moving out. There's always something. HMO is relentless. And also it's becoming saturated. HMO is starting to get a bit too common on the market. Have a look in your area right now. Go on to Rightmove. Have a look at um, shared houses, rooms to let, all of those things. And you'll just see a ton of them on the market, not just for let, but also for sale. That always worries me. If I go onto the open market for sale and I see a load of HMO properties, I think, oh, that's saturated. It means they're having a hard time renting them out and they can't afford to keep them, so they've got to sell them. The government is clamping down on HMO properties. It gives it a bit of an uncertain future for me. Now, I've mentioned a couple of times here about my flip to let workshop. It is open for pre-registration. I do this, um, I haven't actually done this publicly. I normally do this amongst my own little client base, but I'm opening it up now. Um, yeah, the Flip to Let workshop is open for pre-registration. You've just got to email tom at pinkstreet.co.uk and me or my team will pick that up and register you. Now, in that Flip to Let workshop, Flip to Let, by the way, is buy, refurbish, refinance. It's buying a property, adding to it, refurbishing it, growing it, altering it, doing whatever you can to increase the value um, and then let it out for profit. Extract your money. But in that Flip to Let workshop, we go through um, finding the property deals, analyzing them to make sure that you're buying the correct property, the buying process of that, what to prepare, when to prepare it, the cash plan. Again, there's a definite plan with the cash. When do you need it? How do you need it? How much do you need? Then there's the refurbishment itself, and then there's the refinance or the remortgage at the end of that, because there's different ways to finance the property, let's just say, and there's different ways to exit the finance of that property. And then there's the renting of that property, then there's the exit strategy, protecting the risk, and then there's the, the mitigation against that risk. And then the last part on that uh, Flip to Let workshop is about forecasting. It's about profit building, uh, profit growth, tax and accounting. Boo! No one likes tax and accounting, but we got to do it. And then there's compounding strategies. And there's also strategies about how you can grow your portfolio just from that one property. We go through all of that. And the last time I did that, by the way, I should probably say this, but the last time I did that um, workshop, it was gone and full up in 20 minutes, which was a bit of a surprise. But um, this time I'm doing it online. So there's going to be more people that I'm going to allow into. I'm still going to have a limit though, because I don't want too many people in this in this one workshop. I will put on more than one workshop though. So anyway, so uh, look, if you want to, uh, to pre-register for that, let me know. Just email me, tom at pinkstreet.co.uk or message me through Facebook or comment below and then I'll contact you and we'll do it that way. Um, but look, 
Lastly, I should probably say that if you want a property deal, if you want a HMO property or you want a buy to let property, let me know. I normally go for around 12% as an absolute minimum return on investment, but normally it's about 15% or more. And that's around the country as well. I told you some areas that I'm really focusing on. Northeast, South, Midlands, um, also parts of Scotland as well. Like I said, that's a new one for me. So I hope all of that helps. And I hope that gave you a bit of an idea of what you would like to invest in. There are so many different ways to do it. But HMO versus buy-to-let, for me, it's always going to be buy-to-let. Speak to you all later. Thank you for joining me and I hope you enjoyed this podcast. But before you go to the next episode, I really want to hear from you. Just search Tom Sohn on any social media or just email me tom at pinkstreet.co.uk. I'd love to know your thoughts on this episode. And if you need any help with your own situation, just get in touch. I'll answer every email and every message I promise. Anyway, see you in the next podcast and remember, Being a landlord is hard. Being an anonymous landlord is easy. Invest, enjoy, repeat and grow.